0: Due to the sensitive and mature nature of today's program, parental discretion is advised. Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given in the local listening area. Today's show features Daniel Madsen. In his presentation, Catholic Teaching on Homosexuality is Good News recorded at Sacred Heart of Jesus Parish in Wadsworth, Ohio, in November 2013. Daniel Matson is a single Catholic man who lives with same-sex attraction. He has found great freedom in the teachings of the Catholic Church and through the universal call to chastity. With part one of his presentation, here is Daniel Matson.
1: Well, it's a great pleasure to be here. I want to uh, thank Father Joe for his hospitality and, and uh, my friend Mary for inviting me. It takes a lot of work to organize something like this, and I can't, uh, I can't thank both of them enough. Um, as you can imagine, I, my life's dream wasn't to be introduced as, uh, well, it was my life dream to be introduced as a professional trombonist. I'm very happy to be a professional music- musician and feel very fortunate, but I never thought that I would be speaking to anybody about this um, topic of my uh, homosexuality um, and the Catholic Church. Um, but there's a, uh, our, our first pope letter from, uh, in First Peter. He says, always prepare to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And I have come to the point in my life where I feel that the greatest message... And the best news for anybody who lives with same-sex attraction is contained within the Catholic Church. And in fact, I'm one of these rare breeds, or we think it's a rare breed, of, of people who came to the Catholic Church precisely because of the completeness and fullness of the Church's teaching on sexuality. Um, I became Catholic kicking and screaming, but I, I would never go back to, to the to life I had before. And... Because the truth resides in the Church of Jesus Christ, and that which is true is what is truly beneficial for living a life. Um, and what I, the way I want to format this evening is to tell you a little bit about my story, how I got to here, and then the latter part of the the, the, um, the presentation, I want to go through why do I think that the teachings of the Catholic Church on same-sex attraction are such good news, Um, filtered through the lens of somebody who has really wrestled with this and come out on the other side and says, thank God I'm in the Catholic Church. Um, So I was... uh um, I'm the fourth of four sons, and I, 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 uh, I think my life probably began in the usual way with my dad getting turned on by my mom. Um, my my, my uh, dad has always been a legs man, apparently, and apparently my mom was always attractive to her. I feel like it's important for us to recognize that sex is a gift from God, and my parents utilized that in the way that it was appropriate. And I look back on my long relationship with sex And I realized that that moment was the only time in my life that sex was used properly. It was in the moment I was conceived within the confines of marriage. My use of sex has been totally uh, opposed to the good design that God gave for it. And um, I'm glad that my parents were open to life back then. Um, So I was the fourth of four sons, grew up, uh, was was baptized Catholic, Catholic. my dad, when he was Lutheran, when he fell in love with my mom, became Catholic in order to kind of appease her. Well, the four sons, we came along. I was the youngest, and after post, you know, kind of post-Vatican II, kind of that confusion that, that entered into the church, my parents became close friends with some Protestants, um, and they became very impressed by the fact that they could quote the Bible they knew every verse, every book. They knew the order of the Bible, and they thought, well, this must be what a vibrant relationship with God looks like, as somebody who knows the Bible. And they got influenced influenced by these, um, these Protestants in a Bible study, and eventually we fell away from the Catholic Church in about 1981 when I was 11. I had had First Communion, uh, but I hadn't been confirmed. And so I essentially grew up within a Protestant, I would say, sort of a baptist non-denominational, evangelical, a very middle-of-the-road, evangelical, fundamentalist church. Um, that was my upbringing. I went to a Christian school, and there we learned all kinds of things about Scripture. I could do my sword drill. I could find everything quicker than anybody. I sort of became a spiritual leader in my, in my Protestant class. I was Uh, class president i was very popular but the one area that i noticed that uh, didn't seem to work out for me was in the realm of dating now i I had in elementary school i had crushes on girls but my first recollection of being attracted to a guy uh, was in the first grade very conscious memory of a guy um he was a big athletic guy. He was uh, great on the cook- kickball field. I was usually the one picked after the girls. I, listen, I am not very athletic. I'm very artistically uh, inclined. I'm a great musician, but unless you're throwing me a cookie or something, I probably won't catch it. I've got some motivation if you're throwing me something chocolate chip cookie. But sports was intimidating. I did Little League in the third grade and that was just a nightmare It was a major league nightmare for me i was intimidated by being up at bats i just hated it um and and it became for me that was the sign of what boys were supposed to do in my family um it was uh not so much sports but working on cars my dad had you know i can't tell you how many vehicles came in and out of the house the driveway drove my mom crazy, but my three older brothers and my dad just love tinkering. They've removed and replaced I don't know how many engines. Uh, and I always had this this basic feeling like I needed to be one of the boys, one of the guys, and go work on the cars, and I hated that. I'd rather stick in the house and, and uh, bake cookies with my mom. And there's pictures of me baking with my mom, you know. And people say, oh, that must mean you're born gay, right? If your first recollection is back in the first grade and you're attracted to a guy, or you have all these artistic sensibilities. That's what the world tells a young man who doesn't have traditional, quote-unquote, masculine uh, interests, right? And they're drawn to creativity or music or the arts or that sort of thing. Well, they have a sensitive nature. They're probably gay, right? That's kind of what the world says to us. I didn't have any concept of that back in 1976 when I was first attracted to this guy. Um, but as I grew into adolescence, I noticed that I was attracted, you know, especially when adolescence hit and puberty. That I was attracted more to my classmates than the girls. Now I had crushes on girls. I remember dating somebody in the fifth grade. It was a, a two-day relationship, you know, on a, on a class trip. Um, but I remember at that age, a very distinct. It, it felt it was very uncomfortable for me to be in that relationship with her, which is why I ended it. noting, well, you and Melanie are perfect in the fifth grade, and and it was, I got into that, that relationship, my first relationship in the fifth grade, and it felt stifling to me. I didn't know what to do with it, so I broke up. Um, but as adolescence goes on, and I, I still believed at that point that I was intended for marriage. I wanted to have a, be a father and have a family. Um, in my Protestant church, we had, there was an orthodox sexual ethic, right? Marriage is where sex belongs. I was committed to saving myself from marriage. I assumed that um, somebody would come along that I could fall in love with. Um, but I did find myself attracted to the guys, right? But I, I, as, as high school progressed, um, thankfully, uh, at my school, there wasn't really much bullying. You know, I, I had some of that when I was younger. You know, somebody, um, you know, they would... They would sometimes tease me about my musical instruments on the bus and things like that. But I never went through that bullying that people might have gone through in a public school situation. Um, and I was popular. I, I kind of hid my insecurities by trying to get people to laugh. And um, I had hopes that somehow my, you know, being the class clown would get, get me a girlfriend. It never really worked. I, I would ask girls out, and they see I was always the friend, not the boyfriend, right? And so... Uh, that, that caused me to think, well, the goal in life, I need to find a wife and I need to f- start a family. What's going on? Why aren't these, these girls interested in me? Well, I found myself attracted to the idea of who I wished I could be in order to be attracted uh, uh, t- attractive to, a, to the girls in my class. So I envied the, the, the guys on the basketball team in my Class D high school. Now, um, I was... In the state of Michigan, my senior year in high school, I was named the outstanding musician for the whole state of Michigan out of 33,000 people. Um, And I still remember consciously feeling back in that moment that as much as I loved that, I would have probably traded the ability to be on the basketball team of this Class D high school just in order to have some sense of masculinity and some sense of being the man that I felt I needed to be. Uh, and that just shows you how deep this this question of what, my, what it means to be a man went through in, in my mind and in my psyche. Well, I, I had asked some girls out, never really gone on a date, and so finally the, the prom comes around this, that senior year. You know, you've got to go um, on a date. So I asked this girl out, and incidentally the same girl from the fifth grade. Um, <laughs> Had come come back around us because I always had kind of a crush. She was a piano player. I thought there would be some connection there. Well, and she, she comes up to me and um, she says, "Well, Dan, thanks thanks for asking me out." Um, but I hear that John is thinking about asking me out. Well, oh, when I wish I'd had the guts at the point I was. Well, make a decision. No, but I, I went away with my tail between my legs. Turns out John was captain of the wrestling team, right? And he was in my mind the epitome of what every woman wanted some buff, masculine guy. Uh, and it turns out that Melanie ended up going out with John, right? And so that, that in my mind, it said to me, everything that I believe about myself is really true. Women really aren't interested in me, and they're interested in those guys. And at that point in time, even though it was before the age of the Internet, I had encountered, like so many people, that the lure of pornography. Um, and even in, uh, you know... We're told um, by St. Paul that we don't wrestle with people on the earth. We we wrestle with principalities and power. There is spiritual warfare out there. I remember stumbling upon in the road out in the country, a a hardcore gay porn magazine that was at the side of the road. And I don't believe it was any accident that I went down that road and that I picked that up. And I found ways as a high schooler and in, in college to get plenty of pornography. There was a CD liquor store that had no problem selling hardcore porn to a high school student. And I became addicted to that. And um, my loneliness and my self worth, the questions I had about my self-worth, that became a drug. It was got a got a strong hold of me. As I went into college, I really focused on my musical career all my energies went into that i said well if i can't you know have a relationship i'm just going to practice 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 and i did and i succeeded Um, and then uh, when i was a junior in college i was invited to perform at the epcot center for the summer in an orchestra there which is a great summer well i um and all this time i would sit there and, and wrestle with these desires feeling that God didn't make me this way. I'm, ma- I'm a man made for women. My body tells this to me. My church was still continuing to tell me, I believe this. I said, I am going to wait for that one moment when God can at least bring a woman into my life that I can love. And, of course, I would, I would pray that these attractions would go away. So in that moment, as a junior in college, I met somebody in the orchestra, and we started a date. And her name was Linda. And I fell head over heels over her. And I thought with that first kind of infatuation of the first relationship you ever have, oh she's surely the one and I, I in my mind I wrote the story, the great story, you know, we get married, we play in the same orchestra together, blah blah blah, we have tons of kids and we have we get a dog, you know, on the picket fence. Well, it was um, about six weeks into that that first it was they as a musician they call those showmances. If you're at a music festival. So I didn't know that it was a showman. She wasn't really looking for anybody seriously. But six weeks um, into our relationship, she, uh, she sat me down somewhere on the manicured lawns of, of Epcot Center. Somewhere Mickey Mouse was shining over us. And she said that famous line, it's not you, it's me. Right? So she broke up with me. Now, of course, that happens all the time. Um, and And, but, as I look back on this moment, I view it as my George Costanza moment because she broke up with me to date a woman, and that happened to George Costanza. There was a moment in, 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 in that in george costanza 's terrible love life that he dated a woman and he goes to jerry jerry you wouldn 't believe it. She broke up with me to date a woman now to, for, for me now i I can usually get a free beer if there 's dating horror stories with my buddies or whatever. Um, at the time, that was very painful for me because it seemed to be an, an extension of what I was believing about myself back then, that I was so unworthy as a man for women that a woman was more desirable to me th- than, I, uh, than I was. That was very painful. Well, that just caused me to not date anymore. I just put all my energies into trombone. Uh, I practiced, practiced, and then I finally got my job and my career at, in my late 20s. And I said, well, what's next? And I, I wrestled with God. There was a verse from Jeremiah 29, 11 that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I sat there at that moment and saying, I have been waiting for you. I have been chased. I have not, I've saved myself from marriage. I pray constantly that you bring somebody in. These women who come into my life, they're not interested in me. And I'm more and more sexually attracted to men. At that point, I had no attraction for women at all. Women had become, you are not safe. I want nothing to do with you. Um, and I, this whole time, I was involved in pornography, right? Um, and I, at that time, it was the fledgling beginnings of the Internet. I started chatting with guys, and I fell in love with a guy. And at that point, I said, I'm going to turn my back on God. Fell in love with him, but he wasn't willing to meet. After about eight or nine months, he lived in my hometown. We never met once and then he said, I can't meet. And then I was thrown into this pit of despair and this great depression. At that moment, I turned back to God. I said, okay, God, as, as raised as a Protestant, save from the mistakes that I would make, God's grace comes in and pulls me out. I, just, I do believe that that's what happened. So I started, all right, God, okay, I'm going I'm to work with you a little bit longer. But I think in my Protestant way of thinking, I viewed the fact that, My relationship with God was sort of like a contract. If I was going to get anything good out of life, I had to be good. And it was sort of God had a promissory note with me. As long as I didn't have sex, as long as I did this, 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 then he would make me happy in the way that I expected and wanted to be happy. That was my view of that verse from Jeremiah. It's a very different view than the Catholic view, of course. So... As I went to more and more Bible studies, went went to church more, prayed more, these attractions didn't go away. They They didn't come away from my life. And nobody came into my life that I could marry. I decided consciously in my early 30s to just turn my back on God. I looked into what is called gay theology, revisionist theology, which says we can look at Scripture and justify and say God blesses same-sex relationships. And I tried to read that, but I realized that that would do injury to my mind. It's it's just there's a lot of holes that can be plowed right through that. So instead of sort of buying this half-baked revisionist theology, I said, no, I'm going to turn my back on God, even if I was risking hell. And in fact, in my hometown, there's a three-known basilica. And every time I drove by it at that point, I would flip it off. I would fly at the bird with great anger. Because even though I wasn't Catholic, that represented God to me. And I said, no. And I realized if, if I could go back to Calvary, I would have I just jumped right to the front of the line to pound a nail or, or, or put a spear in Christ's side. I hated God. Because he had failed me in my mind. I was very angry at him. So I finally, um, in my early 30s, um, finally went out and had sex with a guy. Um, I didn't like that anonymous encounter situation. So I just said, I'm going to go find a guy to date. So I went in search of a guy with some sort of, that I could have some semblance of a relationship with, this, that, that rep- was similar to my parents' relationship. Well, I found a guy. We were together, to make a long story short, we were together for about a year. And I was preparing at that point to come out, to tell my family, to tell my co-workers, hey, this is who I am, I'm gay, um, this is where I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to share my life with this guy. And God has a sense of humor and irony always. And at that moment, there a, a woman came into my life who I was attracted to. I didn't know what to make of that. And uh, I was really attracted to her. And that just made me drive around the Basilica twice to flip (laughs) off the Basilica. Because I was was angry the first time, and then angry, I never wanted to be attracted to a woman again. And I didn't think I would. But here I was, all those dreams came back. All those dreams came back of the family, of being a father, of having this this relationship, a, a, a marriage like my parents' or my brother's. And I told the guy I was dating that because we had a good relationship. I wasn't about to go start dating her and not tell him. And I still remember that day in, in, in my house. And I told him, I said, I don't know what to do with this. I love you, and I'm drawn to these, these dreams that I have. And he was quiet for a little bit. And he said, Dan, if you have that possibility of having that dream, of being a father and have a family, I want you to have that. And so he let me go out of his love for me. And if I, I look back throughout my life and I think, in that moment was Christ-like love, laying down his life for a friend. He really hoped that we would share our lives together. And in that moment, in the midst of a gay relationship, Christ's love came calling to him and he gave that love back to me and let me go. And still, he hasn't found somebody, and he still wonders about that. But I say that is a huge sacrifice that, that, that he, he uh, gave to me. And I still pray for him, and please pray for him. His name's Ryan. So I dated this woman for a year and a half, and I thought, oh, this is the Hallmark movie ending. This is the, this is the storybook ending, right? Um, guy has same-sex attraction. He, he dates a guy, and Christ comes in, and ba ba you, know, you couldn't have a better, better ending. Well, we took a break for a little bit because she didn't really want to have kids. In that time, I decided, okay, there's kids and her. She's here. She's tangible. Kids are hypothetical. And I said, I'm going to choose her. Now, I wasn't Catholic at this point, but I'd started coming back to the church. So to me, contraception was fine at that point. So I chose her. Well... She said no. She, once again, I had no from the woman that I hoped I would share my life with. That was the probably the saddest day of my life. Um, I I really was devastated. And uh, but at that point, I had come back to the come back to God and say, maybe you are right. Maybe you're okay. There's a line in uh, Romans. A 124, that says, Do you not know that God's kindness leads you to repentance? And I found in her and in her relationship um, a lot of God's love. And I started um, reading again, reading C.S. Lewis, reading all the beloved authors in this midst of this tremendous pain. And I, I um, there's a great line from a, a movie called Shadowlands uh, about the life of C.S. Lewis, where he, as a child he lost his, mother to cancer, and as a grown man married in in his 50s, he lost his wife to cancer. And there's a great line in there, he says, I have suffered loss as a boy and as a man. The boy chose safety, the man chooses suffering. And that, it says that God was speaking to me and saying, you have suffered loss as a boy and as a man, what are you going to choose? And so I started gobbling up everything I could about suffering. I read The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. I read Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning about the Holocaust, trying to make some sense of why God would allow this in my life. And um, I found that the only answer that made sense to me was the Catholic answer. As a Protestant, suffering is a test. It's a way of building character formation. And I said, that is not enough of an explanation for the suffering I'm going through and the suffering that I see in the world. Just as character development, no. But if it can be offered up for the redemption of the world as St. Paul tells us in Colossians, that has some meaning. That has some purpose. And I began to think about my whole life, thinking back as a child, when I didn't know who I was, when I didn't know what the future had for me, when all this, the, my dreams were dashed, began to think maybe there's a bigger plan for this, including the suffering that I've gone through. And so I began writing, I began blogging about this, and um, in 2008 or 2009 I went to a Courage conference. Now Courage is an arm of the Catholic Church. It's an apostle of the Catholic Church for men and women with same-sex attraction. In God's providence, my godparents are... You know, my parents' best friends, they are the international head of Encourage, which is the arm for friends and family. Don't tell me there are any coincidences in God's economy. So they invited me to this conference. And at the time, I was going to a mega church um, in a big old converted warehouse. Never had any plans to become Catholic. But I went to that. Um, that first mass in Cardinal Regali was there and there were several bishops there and there were a bunch of priests there. And all these men and women singing their hearts out in praise to God who had come to the truth of the church, to love the church and, and her teachings about homosexuality and how the church changed their lives. And I felt compelled at that moment to revert to the Catholic church. So it's not... It, I am a person who came to the Catholic Church because of her teachings on same-sex attraction. Now, I have three brothers. Two of them um, are married. One of them is a priest. And so if you're thinking about reverting to the Catholic Church, it's handy to have a brother who's a priest. So I called up my brother, and I said, What do I do? I think I'm going to become Catholic again. He said, Well, you've always been Catholic. And all you need to do is have a good confession, and then you can go to communion. So I went to confession for the first time in 30 years that night which was, uh, I had no idea the gift the confession is until that moment. And I go to a confession as often as I can, because I love it. It's better than therapy, um, and it's better than a, a trip to the spa, in my opinion. Um, and then that next, that next morning, this is how God's mercy works through our lives. I was running late, I was going to uh, sit with some other people that I'd met, and I ended up sliding next to my godparents who were there. And they said to me, they said, "Um, Dan, do you want to carry the gifts up? I said, well, I don't know what that is. What do you mean? Are there gifts? Was it Toys for Tots weekend at the Courage Conference? Um, As a Protestant, I had no idea. But there I was. God allowed me in that moment to carry up the bread and wine that would become his body and blood. So I think that there's a direct line between my baptism and that moment of my reversion where I partook of the body and blood of Christ. And it's all in God's economy. And so since that time, my life is certainly not without struggles, right? I'm not Captain Chastity. Uh, this is Chastity is not easy for me. And the, and the teachers of the church are not easy. But they are worthy of pursuit because they're true. And that which is true is what is truly good for me. I, I have not looked back. And I love going all over the place to speak to people like you about this.
0: Due to time constraints, today's talk will continue next week at the same time. We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For an audio archive of this program, go to livingbreadradio.com and click on the programming menu. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.